It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Hey, once again, everybody, Sal Capaccio here from WGR Sports Radio 550, along with Matt Bovey, Channel 7 WKBW-TV Sports Director in Buffalo. It's always game day in Buffalo. Ready to bring you another episode, and we got something really cool planned for you. Starting with this episode, we're going to start going through the Buffalo Bills position by position. And breaking it down, giving you a little state of the position, if you will, some camp battles, but more so just a big picture, broad view of what the entire position looks like. Can't wait to do it. Training camp starts on July 24th, and that's going to be out at St. John Fisher College in Rochester. This is the first episode we've done really post-mandatory minicamp. The last one we did was kind of right at the end of it, but it was because it was cut short. So this is our first like real post mini camp episode here on it's always game day in Buffalo. Thanks to Odyssey, Jim Stagliano, our producer director, helping us out, doing a great job. And we're ready to bring it to you. Not only the rest of this off season, but into the season. So Matt, hope you had a great weekend post mandatory mini camp. And I hope you had a, a great father's day as well. Yeah, thank you, Sal. I am the father of a two-year-old cockapoo named Harper. So that's what everybody's here for. But no, it was great. I had my dad over, my father-in-law over, my grandfather over, my wife's grandfather over. We hosted. It's a lot of work to host. Nobody really tells you that when you become an adult. I know my parents did it for so many holidays when we were kids, whether it was Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever. We had everybody over to our house. It was a ton of fun, but it was a lot of work too. I was like, my goodness, this is a lot, but it was, it's just so cool because like my grandfather is 94 years old. Wow. So he is the most in shape 94 year old man on the planet. He still Amazing. does yoga. He still does yoga every week. He wow. drives like he's so it's, it's so impressive. And just, you know, to have my dad there and just my grand, it was, it was just a really cool day. So I, I had a great one and I hope you did too. Maybe got to celebrate a little with Max. Yeah, yeah. I have a question though. Your is that your paternal grandfather, your maternal grandfather that's 94? That is that's my paternal grandfather. So my dad, Jim Bovey, South Towns okay. guy, grew up, went to Iroquois. That's his father, Richard Bovey. Um, oh. Elma, his entire life. And he is, he's like, he's the kind of guy, Sal, he's got a Reuben sandwich that he likes that's like 45 minutes from his house. He's 94 years old and he drives 45 minutes every Wednesday to go get his favorite Reuben sandwich. And I'm like, man, if I'm that way when I'm 80, that's a huge win, let alone 94. He looks just like Bob Barker too. So basically throughout the course of my life, he hasn't really looked that much different. Like from the time that I remember him when I was five, six years old, even until now, when I'm 29, he basically looks the same. 
He doesn't age. That is amazing. Man. That is awesome. Yeah. I love that story. Um, are your um, are your dad and your grandfather into golf like you? And did you guys watch the Open because of that? All right. So my dad is more into it than my grandfather is. Like he's a casual golf fan. My dad is a big golf fan. I'm the biggest of the group. So the way we were doing it was everybody was kind of in our backyard and we were hanging out and I would run inside and say like, all right, I'm going to go check on something. And then I would sit down for 10 minutes and watch golf. And then I would swing (laughs) back outside. And then basically everybody, because he's so independent, he had to drive back to East Aurora from where we live on Grand Island. So we didn't want to keep them too late. So the party dispersed right as the leaders were getting like the 15th, 16th hole. So I got to see everything at the that's end. Awesome. So it was a little bit, a little bit of a win-win. Yeah, that's cool. And it was a great, fantastic finish uh, to the U S open, of course, on Sunday. Um, we, I have the same father's day um, wish every year and, and I ask for the same gift every year. And that is um, whatever we do in the morning, we have to do. That's fine. But I just want to sit and watch and relax and watch the open in the afternoon. That's like my wish. That's all I want to do is give dad some time to relax. But with Max, he's so energetic. He loves his sports. That's very rarely going to happen anyway. And I still wound up doing a lot of things, going outside, playing some wiffle ball or whatever with him. We had baseball in the morning, but I did get a chance to do that. But that's my ask every year. Just I just want to relax and watch the U.S. Open at night. I played in a golf tournament the other day and they were talking about their father's day plans and they were asking whether or not it's like the play should be to golf every father's day morning. And the group was kind of split on it because half of the group was like, well, yeah, if I can get out, I'll get out. The other half was like, no, this is the one day a year where nobody can tell me what I can and can't do. (laughs) I am going to get outside. I'm going to golf and then I'll come back and then we'll spend the family time. So I'm glad that you got to sit down and watch the U S open. I, I know a lot of people think watching golf is boring. I am not one of them. I love it. I find it so entertaining. So maybe next year you can double dip. Maybe you can play golf in the morning. Then you can get home, have a nice lunch, and then watch golf in the afternoon. Like a lot of um, people probably listening, their dads shaped you know, what they're doing. And you told me that your dad's a big reason why you are actually even in this business in the first place. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things that gets passed down to you. Like I grew up a sports fan because my dad was such a sports fan and there wasn't necessarily, they didn't, my parents never pushed me to play a particular sport. They never told me like, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're not going to do. But I always found great joy in just kind of like sitting there and watching Bill's games with my dad. That was like the one thing we had a lot of things that we bonded over, but that was the one thing that we had in common every single weekend. It was like, we want to be back home. We would go to church in the morning. We would want to be back home at the house by 1230 so we could get situated and we would watch the games in the same spots. My dad had season tickets for the Bills from like 85 to 97. So he got in right for the glory years. Yeah. And then basically told me like the reason I got rid of my season tickets was because of you. Like you were a lot of work and your sister was (laughs) a lot of work. I had eventually get rid of them so we could be home because it's such a big commitment. But, you know, growing up, they would take me to games and that's really when I fell in love with it, both football and hockey. And I think it's not a surprise that those are the two sports that I enjoy the most. And they're the two sports that I get to cover. And a lot of that is because of him, because if his favorite things were bass fishing and I don't know, playing the guitar. Maybe those would be my two favorite things, but his favorite things were watching football and talking about hockey and what a quit. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Sal. Not at all. Not at all. My dad wasn't a big sports fan. He followed him, but 
He did. He was a singer and entertainer. And as you know, I told you, I'm, I'm a drummer. Yeah. And, and my dad, actually, they made a couple of records. They would uh, go around Buffalo nightclubs. He gave me the gift of gab and the gift of entertaining, I guess, mm-hmm. in that regard, being on stage. Um, my dad came right from Italy, actually. And so I'm first generation. But, you know, story for everybody out there, they can actually go if they want to look up on Wikipedia or anything like that. Uh, my dad came here on a very famous boat called the uh, Andrea Doria. The Andrea Doria actually is famous, Matt, because it hit another ship called the USS Stockholm and sank. And a lot of Italian immigrants died. My dad was on the voyage right before that happened, actually. But like 48 Italian immigrants, I think, died on the voyage over here. And the USS Stockholm had the whole front edge shaved off and stayed afloat. The Andrew Dorian had a big hole in it and it sank. And it's actually one of the most visited shipwrecks on the entire hemisphere off the coast of Nantucket. And my dad was on that boat, actually. Um, But it was on, on before that. Now, he came here and settled. They were on Swan Street. They lived and he actually dropped out of high school and went and served in the U.S. Army during Vietnam and never graduated high school. But he, he wound up passing away when he was young. My dad was only 48 when he passed away. But legally, he was 49 because he changed his birth certificate so he could work. So, yep. on the, so you know, he's recognized as being 49. I've outlived my father now, which is crazy for me to say. But, you know, I mean, he went through a lot of things back then in those days. But he just always supported all the things I wanted to do in sports. And that was cool. And he loved watching me play just like I wa- love watching Max play. But I think me to Max is you to your dad, your dad to you. Max loves sports so much. I mean, he's all into it. He tells me all the players he reads. He told me Josh Allen's favorite food is hibachi because he reads the media guide. Like he <laughs> is that kid. He's going to know it and he's going to do it. And he goes to games and we have a question later about taking your kid to games that we can't wait to get to. So anyway, cool history lesson there. If anybody, anybody wants to look up the, uh, the Andrea Doria, it's pretty fun. Actually. What all part right. of it, what part of Italy was your dad from uh, near Naples? Okay. A little town called Poggio Moreno. Okay. And um, I think I'm saying it right. It's not, it's spelled. If you look it up, you, you'd get the spelling. And um, we're, you know, as you know, I know you're going to Italy soon. Yep. I'm going to Italy soon. I think we're both going to be near Naples at some point, right? I'm going to be near Naples at some point. We're staying mostly like Northern Italy. Okay. I've, I'm very fortunate. I've been and my wife has been. We're going with 12 people in our family. Uh, and for okay. most of the people, it's their first time. My family really is from the Rome area, a small little place oh, called okay. Soprano. So we're going to spend a lot of time in Rome and in Florence and kind of doing that whole thing. But, you know. Yeah, um, for, that's awesome. I, I love Italy. So it's the greatest place. So I've never it. been to where my dad grew up, but we will be near Naples. We are going to go to Pompeii. So it'll be my first time in that kind of area of that country, which uh, which should be fun. So anyway, um, toast to all the dads out there. Toast to your dad. Toast to my dad. Whether you're here or you're just watching from above, whatever it is, I, I wish my dad would know get to know Max. I think he'd have a lot of fun with him. But I know he's watching, having fun, watching Max grow up. That's for sure. You know, we're going to do this State of the Bills series here. And it's so funny, Matt, because I'm thinking, I'm looking at the Bills quarterbacks, and it's Josh Allen, it's Case Keenum, it's Matt Barkley. And, you know, they're set, right? I mean, they know. They know who one, two, three is. And every year for the last few years, they've kind of been set in that regard. It's just so different than what it used to be for this team. We know that, and we've kind of talked about it. It's also a lot different than it is for a lot of teams around the league. I went through all the other teams, quarterbacks rooms, if you will, before we came on here, like I think the bills could lay claim to maybe the best quarterback room in the entire league. One through three. Now I, I think the Browns are probably actually maybe ahead of them because of Watson and Baker, both being there with Jacoby reset, but you know, be it as it may, we're, we're not expecting make Baker Mayfield to be on the roster or Deshaun Watson, maybe to even be playing Matt. I mean, I think the bills have a really good situation overall. 
I won't argue with that at all. I mean, you can argue, is Josh Allen the best quarterback in the league? Is he the right. second best quarterback in the league? I don't know. Most people probably think he's in the top three. I think he's in the top two. And then you go to Case Keenum. I think Case Keenum might be pound for pound the best backup in the NFL because Agreed. he's got big game experience. He's got a ton of experience. He's got big game experience. I think his skill set kind of fits the bills nicely. And that's ultimately what you want with a backup quarterback. You want to be able, if your starter goes down the backup can tread water for as long as you need them to. So then once your guy comes back and is healthy, then you can ultimately get to where you're trying to go. Now, if you're an NFL team and your starting quarterback goes down for more than two months or so, at that point, it's just really, really tough for that backup to kind of just keep you afloat. But the way the Bills roster is built, like I think Case Keenum could do that. I don't think Case Keenum can go out and beat the best teams in the NFL, but I think Case Keenum can go out and beat a lot of teams with this Bills team behind him. So that's why when we were going into the offseason, we were talking about it with Fitz. I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick would have been the perfect backup situation for this team, but I wasn't even considering Case Keenum. He wasn't even on my radar because I was thinking about players who were free agents, veterans who were available, maybe guys that they could draft. I wasn't thinking that the Bills were going to go out and trade for Case Keenum the way they did. So I think it works itself out. The thing that I'm interested in because the way they've kind of formulated the roster is what they do with Barkley, because I think there's a very clear Josh Allen is one, Case Keenum is two, Barkley is three. I don't think they're going to keep three roster, three quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. And then we, of course, get to the practice squad and just having a veteran there that they very clearly enjoy, I think, goes a long way. Yeah, so I envision... Matt Barkley basically being the Davis Webb of this team. Mm-hmm. He's there for practice squad. Like, do you really think Matt Barkley is going to get claimed at the end of like, he wouldn't have to get claimed. <laughs> I guess <clears throat> he's actually, you know, been in the league long enough that at the end of training camp, he gets released. He's not going to go anywhere. I think he gets mm-hmm. re-signed to the club. They don't have to worry about that now uh, because if a team really wanted him, they would have put him on the roster already in some capacity. I think before all this happened, before he came back to Buffalo, he wants to be here. He knows the system. I think he's the guy that's going to help out being in Josh Allen's ear when he comes off the sidelines a lot. He's going to help him out throughout the week. And look, if something were to happen to Case Keenum, Matt Barkley, I think, is a a, a qualified number two guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the best backup in the league, but he's somebody who can come in and he can play, and he's done that. I also think that um, he's going to do his best to compete with Case Keenum. I mean, why not, right? I mean, this is your job. He's going to try and be the backup quarterback. So to me, you're right. It's going to be Allen. It's going to be Keenum. It's going to be one and two. They're going to make the team. I think that Barkley probably winds up on the practice squad and there's nothing wrong with that because now you have a guy who can simulate all of the other offenses. You know, when you're playing against them, you don't have a rookie going out there. You have a guy who knows all these offenses and has been in this league and can give you a good le- le- a good look for your scout team. And that's really ultimately what you want from that third string quarterback. It doesn't have to be a development guy. The Bills don't need a development guy. They got Josh Allen in his fifth season. Mm -hmm. And it is also important to note that the Bills value the backup quarterback position, and that's become evident for two years in a row because last year they went out and signed Mitch Trubisky. And it Mm -hmm. worked for both parties because Trubisky really wasn't used at all, which is good for the Bills. But if Josh were to get hurt, they trusted Trubisky to be the guy that could ultimately just kind of help them bridge the gap between when the injury happens and when the player is able to come back. And they spent resources to go get Case Keenum. I know it wasn't a lot, but they made a trade for the guy. So clearly they value him. It's not like he's paid peanuts. He's paid pretty well. He's paid as one of the better backups in the NFL. And just the way that Josh Allen plays, you need somebody who's a good, solid backup because you never know what's going to happen with that dude. I mean, he's always going to play if he can, but he does take a lot of hits. There's things that happen in the league. 
I'm not suggesting that any of that will happen, but I am suggesting the Bills very clearly put an emphasis on the backup quarterback position, as they should, and I think that ultimately helps Josh, too. We're past the point of Josh Allen needing to be mentored by the number two quarterback and helping develop him, but it also doesn't hurt that Case Keenum has been there and done that. Yeah. Yeah. So before we move on here, I did take a look, like I said, at some of the other backups. Here's some interesting backup situations in the league who you could say, you know what? That's not a bad situation, but they're different than the Bills because except for one, they don't really go one, two, three, where you're like, okay, for example, um, Teddy Bridgewater backing up Tua. Like, I think yep. Teddy's a good backup to have, right? Why not? Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure he's not going to play at some point this year. I kind of like what they have in Indy. They have Matt Ryan and Nick Foles. If something happens in Matt Ryan, I think Nick Foles, he's shown he can win some in this league. Interesting in Philadelphia, depending on what you think about both Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew. I think you could think that's uh, not a great room or that's not a bad room at all, right? I mean, you could look at that either way. And then Daniel Jones and our guy, Tyrod Taylor. Yep, Tyrod Taylor as a backup, not a bad guy to have. And who knows if he actually winds up starting over Daniel Jones. Absolutely. Tyrod Taylor is about as good as you can get backup quarterback wise. It would have never worked here just because of kind of how it played out, but he is an ideal backup quarterback to have, especially when you're kind of on the fringe with the whole Daniel Jones thing. Gardner Minshew is an interesting one. He was a name that I was kind of having float in the back of my head when the bills were looking for a backup Mm -hmm. quarterback, just because I feel like his personality and Josh's personality would gel just absolutely perfect. But you know, Case Keenum, likes to golf. Josh likes to golf. I guess he can quote movies like Josh can. So it seems like it's a good fit both on and off the field. All right. And then here's the only one I found that has a really strong three, I think, but one's very polarizing how you think about him. I don't, I don't particularly love him as a quarterback, but the names at least in new Orleans, they have Jameis Winston, Taysom Mm -hmm. Hill and Andy Dalton as their number three listed quarterback. I think that's pretty strong when you think about those names and what they could do. I think maybe the sum of the parts is greater than any of the individual guys there. Like I like Jameis. I like Jameis for fantasy this year. I think that he's somebody you can take a flyer on because there's probably going to be a lot of touchdowns. There'll be interceptions too. We know that, but he is a very dynamic player. Taysom Hill doesn't do it for me, but yeah, you know, I mean, he's listed as a quarterback. What is he really? He's athlete, I guess, you know, He's a guy. Yeah. Um, obviously, Andy Dalton has had more success over his NFL career than any of the other guys we've mentioned as the backups in any of the roles. I don't know. I think Case Keenum might be a better quarterback right now than Andy Dalton is. If if not better, they're in the same conversation, I think. I at least know that Bills fans are very, very comfortable with who their QB one is, and that is Josh Allen. All right, that is quarterback. So How about who RB1 is for the Buffalo Bills? I think maybe that's been settled, or at least was, at the tail end of last year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, everybody, to It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We are doing our state of the positions as we move along here and we shift from mini camp to training camp. We just talked about the quarterbacks. You know Josh Allen's number one, Case Keenum's number two, Matt Barkley's number three. But when we get to the running backs, the conversation gets a little trickier. So, Sal, as we look at the running back depth chart, are we both in the same position to say who number one is? I think I know my answer, but I'm curious to hear yours. I don't think there's any doubt that Devin Singletary, to me, is running back number one. And in fact, the way I'm going to say this might sound a little weird to some people. I don't think James Cook actually put that more in question. I think James Cook might have solidified that more for Devin Singletary. Because to me, they didn't draft a guy to compete with Devin Singletary. They drafted a guy to be more of a compliment to Devin Singletary and to do something different than Devin Devin Singletary can do, which is not really carry the ball on first and second down. And that's where I think I agree. I think that Devin Singletary is the number one running back. I think that after that, James Cook is the third down running back. And then after that, we get into the questions of what is Zach Moss at this point in his career? Does Duke Johnson have a chance at making this team? And Taiwan Jones, he's going to make the team for special teams reasons. I don't think he really has any role on offense, but that's the conversation that we're having. I think Devin Singletary is their guy at least on early downs, but I think on third down, almost regardless of the situation, James Cook is going to be the guy on the field. Maybe if it's third and inches and Zach Moss is on the team, he'll be who they trot out there. But I don't even know if Zach Moss is going to make this roster, let alone be on the, be on the team. Yeah, I think that's what this comes down to for me. As I sit here today, as we record this on June, <laughs> excuse me, June 20th, um, what are the chances? What are the odds Zach Moss is on the team? I might put them 50-50 at best, to be quite honest with you. I think that's where I'm looking for Zach Moss going into his third year. Just He hasn't been as productive as they would want. Now you have Devin Singletary kind of taking that lead role, if you will. They did draft James Cook. They did bring in Duke Johnson. I'm not saying he's going to make the team either. I don't know, but it does at least push the odds against Zach Moss even more than what it already would be. It's weird because this regime has very much taken care of their own when they can. And Zach Moss is a branded mean draft pick and he's a draft pick in the third round. So it's not like they were just throwing a flyer at a guy. They were taking a guy that they thought was going to contribute. I mean, it's the same round that Devin Singletary was taken in. But up to this point, two years into his career, and there have been some injury concerns, he hasn't flashed the way the Bills thought he would flash. When they drafted him, the whole conversation was it's a really nice compliment with Devin Singletary. Singletary is your your slippery guy who can do a little bit of everything, but maybe doesn't have the between the tackles, you know, skill set that you would like a guy to have. And that's where Moss would come into play. He also can catch out of the backfield. He can do a little bit of everything. So that was kind of supposed to be their plan. It just hasn't worked up to this point. And I mean, Devin, or excuse me, James Cook was a second round pick. James Cook is going to get touches on this team. He's going to get carries on this team. I don't think he's going to light the world on fair with his numbers, but there is a role on this team for him. And Devin Singletary is also a lock. And I think Taiwan Jones might be a lock too, just because of what he does on special teams. Because so he's right Taiwan. Now, he's just because he's Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan's always on the team. They just love Taiwan Jones, man. That, that's what I mean. Like he is a staple. So right there, you've got three guys. I think the James Cook addition in the draft 
makes it really unlikely that Duke Johnson makes the team, but I could be wrong. I mean, maybe they think that he's got some juice that Moss doesn't have. And yeah, they, they really got to figure something out with that because I mean, that's a third round pick not that long ago. And do you, do you put, do you give Zach Moss more of a chance to make it than Duke Johnson or vice versa? Zach Moss, more of a chance because he's younger, he's yeah. cheaper. He is one of their guys. He knows the system because he's been around here. But I don't think that it's like you said, it's 50 50. Maybe I would say it's 60 40 for Zach Moss, but I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's on this team. You want a real dichotomy? How about this? I think as much as drafting James Cook hurts Zach Moss, it might have saved him as well because without drafting James Cook, Duke Johnson becomes that guy they need, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, want, they went after J.D. McKissick to be that guy. He was going to be the guy that catches the ball to the backfield. They didn't get him. They thought they had him and didn't get him. So now they need that guy. So they get Duke Johnson. We're going to keep Duke Johnson. Well, now you don't need to keep Duke Johnson. You get to keep, you know, um, you get to keep James Cook. But that still maybe, maybe keeps a role for Zach Moss because you don't have that backup. The backup. Duke Johnson isn't like a backup to Devin. He's more of James Cook, right? I mean, yeah. to me, that's the skill set. So that may have saved him there. It's really, I, I could see, I could see Zach Moss making this team because they want to have the extra guy, but maybe not getting a Jersey on game day. I mean, because yeah. last year we saw they didn't, they didn't dress all these guys all the time. That would be the situation I could see, but maybe not. And then you have to think about Reggie Gilliam and how he factors in here because he's, what is he a running back? Is he a tight end? Is he a fullback with the tight end room as crowded as it is now? I, I mean, he's, he's really more of a hybrid. And to me, he can be that blocking guy out of the backfield. He can be a guy who can leave in for extra protection, a guy that you could do a, a few different things with. So, and I think Reggie Gilliam, because of his skill set on special teams, he also is a guy I don't I don't see them moving on from. They love all the different things he can do. And I think it also, and we'll talk about this on a episode down the road, but the wide receiver situation and the tight end situation has a direct you know, impact on the running back situation, because how many guys are they able to keep? How many positions are they going to be able, you know, how many running backs can be on the 53 man roster? It's not going to be more than four. Four is the ceiling. And we know that Singletary, Cook, they're locks. Taiwan Jones is close to a lock. And then you've got another guy. So Zach Moss, maybe there's a role for him, but at the same time, he's got to prove that he's worth it because up to this point, and the opportunities that he's had, he hasn't really made the most of them. There have been flashes, but those flashes haven't been consistent. And I know a lot of Bills fans are probably listening to this, and they're like, why do we even care? The Bills are a pass-first offense. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen's their best player. The ball should be in his hands. And while that's right, the Bills offense last year was at its best when they had any semblance of a threat to run the ball. I am not going to be the guy that sits here and say, the Bills need to run the ball 20 times again. No, absolutely not. But they need to be effective when they completely zero in on the passing game. Okay, but this does bring up a great question. This is like one of the big debates we have all the time on WGR on our shows. And we spend hours on these things and people call in and it's the Josh Allen running factor, right? So we can't talk about this without talking about how much he can factor into what we're trying to say here. Josh Allen is used in the red zone. He had 122 carries last year, but we also saw or think a lot of people think maybe they just don't want to have him carry the ball as much. Maybe last year even saw a little bit of a scale down and then when it was needed, they did. I think maybe that's what they want a little bit more of. Hey, let's prolong this guy's career. We're paying, paying him a lot of money. He doesn't have to run all the time. Sure. If it's there, 
less designed runs early in the season. Maybe just, I'll give you a great example. The Kansas City Sunday night game. Bills go there and win. Mm-hmm. We didn't see Josh really run the first few weeks. And everybody's like, hmm, haven't seen Josh run. First series of that game. Josh runs, Josh runs, Josh runs, gets a touchdown. We don't see him run the rest of the game. They used it in a specialty situation. What about him running and being a part of this running back mix and how that impacts how many running backs they might even keep and how they use them, Matt? So I don't think it should have an impact on how many running backs they keep because I don't necessarily think you would ever get to a point where you would need to go that far down the line to get to the guy that you want to get the bulk of the carries. I think Josh should still be a factor in the run game but I think it needs to kind of be similar to what we saw last year. And I know that it took a while for the offense to really get to full stride last year, but I think that there is something to be said about preserving him, avoiding hits when possible. I think once you get down to the final stretch of the season and the playoffs, all the, you know, just go all out, do whatever you got to do to win the game, just like they did in the playoffs last year for the first two games. And I think the real turning point last year was the Tampa game. You know, in the first half of the Tampa game, the offense couldn't do much. And the second half, Josh started to use his legs. He actually finished that game getting hurt and he was in a boot and we didn't know if he was going to play. But from that point on, the run game produced by Josh Allen became a major threat and that opened up a lot of other things for the Bills offense. So I think there does need to be a balance. And I know that they're a better offense when he's running the ball. But I also don't think you necessarily need him to do that to win games in October and November. I think you're a good enough offense without that piece to think, you know, use it sparingly like they did against Kansas City and then unleash the offense in December because you're also probably going to catch some people off guard. Not a ton. They know Josh Allen is a weapon, but maybe more than they're expecting. To put a bow on the running back situation, just want to take a look back. Well, first of all, we'll say, we did not talk about Raheem Blackshear. He is an undrafted free agent out of Virginia Tech. Don't expect him to make the team unless you do. I don't think you do. Um, probably a practice squad guy. He takes the spot of a guy like Antonio Williams, and that's what I wanted to bring up. Two names that we've heard from <clears throat> in the past. Antonio Williams, who a lot of fans really liked watching on the field. And Matt, Christian Wade is no longer on the Buffalo Bills. I just want fans to know that who ask me still to this day, what about Christian Wade? What about Christian Wade? He is no longer in the NFL. He's doing his own thing. He's actually got like, he's a musician. He's a part of some music company. He's doing his own thing. He's a great guy. I love Christian Wade, but he is no longer playing professional football. He is not on the Buffalo Bills roster. All right. So yeah, save your comments for what everybody gets <laughs> mad at Sal and I that we're not talking about Christian Wade. As I think back on all of the training camps that I've covered and all the Bills teams that I've covered, running back is the one position that's been consistently strong. Because you think back to the quarterback and you're like, wow, it wasn't that long ago that we were covering a training camp when the quarterbacks were Matt Castle and Nathan Peterman and Tyrod Taylor and all of these random guys, AJ McCarron, throw him in there. But the running backs were always good because it was LaShawn. And then before LaShawn, you had was who was right before LaShawn? Was it still Spiller? Oh, Carlos Williams was there. Carlos Williams had a cup of coffee for like that one season. That was 2015. Carlos Williams was, he had a really big touchdown. He had that touchdown year, right? Against the Colts, I think. Yeah. What, so what, what year are we talking about? Like 2014? Fred Jackson? Yeah, Fred Jackson was still, still there. there. Anthony Dixon? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, so you Booby. had you had CJ Spiller, Fred Jackson, Booby Dixon, LaShawn McCoy. You, you know, really, really solid guys kind of all the way through. You're right. The first year when I guess the questions came up would have been the year that LaShawn got cut and you didn't know exactly what the running back room was going to look like, but that's when we had the 
like Frank Gore played for the Buffalo Bills, everybody. It <laughs> that's a that's like your fun fact in 10 years. You're like, oh, yeah, Frank Gore played for the Bills. In 2018, Josh Allen led the Buffalo Bills in rushing with LaShawn McCoy on the team. Josh had 631 yards. LaShawn had 514, and Chris Ivory had 385. When you say the name Chris Ivory, is there a play that you think of? I have one play that I think of from that guy. Yes. Minnesota. Yep, that's the play. Catches the ball and just, he was running right at me down the sidelines. Yep. <clears throat> he was wide open, and he just caught it with no one around him. He just scattered down the sidelines for like, I think, what, 25, 30 yards. Yeah, that's the only play that I think of that was in Josh's, you know, the crazy game against Minnesota. Right. And then besides that, I don't, what think do you of, really do? I don't think of any other big plays. <laughs> also, Mike Tolbert played for the Bills. That's, yes. a fun one. that's a fun one from back in the day. Marcus Murphy was on that team. I'm looking at some of the names now. Some of these guys that were on the team. Matt, what you say, though, about the running backs, that goes throughout history of this team, of this organization. Yeah. I mean, you go back to Ray Braxton, Carlton Ray. And of course, um, Cookie Gilchrist and OJ Simpson. Joe Cribbs was a fan favorite in the early '80s. He was terrific. Rob Riddick. They had. They've had Thurman Thomas, right? I mean, <laughs> they had incredible running backs. Even Antoine Smith, right? Derek Holmes, who came in for that for that one season and what he did. Um, they've had some really good running backs throughout their history. Actually, it's the same with. And this is a little bit of a hockey comparison, but like for my entire life, I'd known the Sabers with an elite goaltender, whether yes, it was Dominic Hasek or Ryan 100%. Miller, and that's why these last couple of years have been so foreign, where they're trying to put the pieces together. It's like the Sabers always have a good goalie. Well, it's like the Bills; they've always got a good running back, and honestly, that's probably one of the reasons over the years why they haven't been as competitive as you would like because sometimes having a good running right. back doesn't mean you have a great quarterback. Um, no, that's right. And, and it goes back for the goalie, the same thing. You go back to Roger Crozier and Don Edwards and Bob Sove and Tom Barrasso and all these guys they had for so long. And then, uh, and then of course, they get Dominic Hasek and Ryan Miller and you know, Marty Biron and those guys. So that is, I think it's a great comparison. Bill's running back, Sabres goalies. <laughs> They've always been kind of strong throughout their, throughout their history. But now they have the quarterback, and you know maybe they have some goal scorers too in hockey. We'll see. All right, so Matt and I asked on Twitter if you had any questions for us. So we're going to get to those questions, some really fun ones we want to talk about on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It's always game day in Buffalo, wherever you pod, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, and of course the Odyssey platform, download the Odyssey app, listen to all of our Odyssey stations. I'm Sal Capaccio, WGR sports radio, five fifty. You hear me on the air on the extra point show with Joe DiBiase every weekday, Matt Bove, channel seven, WKBW TV, TV sports director. He joins me here on it's always game day in Buffalo. 
We do this uh, several times a week. We're going to be doing it during the regular season, and we're here throughout the offseason as well. So thanks for joining us. And Matt, I threw out some, um, I, th- I put up the signal, I guess, for some questions for us mm-hmm. on Twitter, at Sal Sports, at Matt underscore Bove. Got a couple of them, and I know a couple that you kind of caught the attention of you that you want to go over as well. Yeah. So everybody, thank you for submitting your questions. We appreciate that. And we're happy to answer some of the ones that we can. We'll start with Lewis here. And the basic, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase here. He said that he's got a seven-year-old son who's going to be going to his first Bills game on October 9th. That's against the Steelers, a one o'clock Sunday game. What should he experience for his first game? And I think that's a very interesting question because seven years old, not very far off from Max. So you have a little bit of intel there. To me, I would say make sure your son kind of gets a little bit of a feel of the tailgate. You can't go into the, you know, the craziness of the, you know, the tailgates that everybody's jumping through the tables or anything like that. But I think he should experience the tailgate scene just to kind of see how big it is. Maybe he can have some cool food outside while he's getting ready for the game. I think the one thing that I would suggest is get into the game early. Because when the stadium's kind of empty still and people are funneling in, that's when you get some of the coolest moments of watching your favorite players out on the field and seeing them before they've got their helmet on and there's all these other people. Like if your son is a big Josh Allen fan or he's a big Stefan Diggs fan, go to the bottom of the bowl and watch the Bills warm up. And who knows, maybe Stefan Diggs will throw you a ball or Josh Allen will be over there and he'll you can take a picture of him close up. So that would be my suggestion. It would be get in early. The gates for a one o'clock game, I believe, open at eleven thirty. Sale, I think that's correct. That's right. An hour and a half before the game. I think. Well, since the pandemic started, it's been uh, two hours since they. Okay. Uh, as of last year, I think there was a, there was something happened last year. I think it's, it's, I think it's two hours now, and I don't know if they've changed that yet. So, if that's the case, let let's hope that is because I think it's awesome. Yeah, I would say get in right when you can when the gates open. You want to beat the rush of people going in there. You don't want you and your little guy to be standing in a really long line when right. you get into the game, especially if it's hot and you're just going to kind of be whatever. And take them around the stadium. Show them different parts of the stadium too. Go watch the pregame from the you know from the lower bowl, and then show them around the other parts of the stadium and point out different things because it's going to be a lot to experience. It's going to be a lot but it's also going to be a really cool experience. And it's going to be one that he probably remembers for the rest of his life. I, I remember my first game. I'm sure a lot of people remember theirs. So hopefully it's a special day for him. Yeah. And um, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, Matt, great suggestions. I love that. Um, Max goes last year, he was seven and that's when he went to his first handful of regular season games. He had gone to a couple of preseason games, uh, went to a regular season game. He handled himself. Well, he loved it. Um, he, he would, he did come home and I will tell you, Lewis, my seven-year-old last year did come home and he did tell me how many F-bombs he counted. I just want you to know that. <laughs> just so you know, people do swear at the games. I'm sure you know that. But uh, yeah, enjoy it. I think those are great suggestions. All right. Give me another one, Matt. All right. So this one comes from Kevin and he tweeted in, do you have a game day ritual? Who makes the call for where to go to dinner on the road? Ooh. So it's a little bit of a two-part question. Yeah. So do you want to start and then I'll go or do you want me to start? You go ahead. Okay. So, Kevin, I do have a game day ritual. I'm glad you asked. So, I listen to the exact same playlist of music on the way to every Bills home game that I drive to. I don't know why. I just have always seemed to do it. I'm not even that superstitious. I am a little stitious, but for some reason, I like to 
just throw the same music on. It just kind of gets me into a routine. And I feel like up to this point, it's worked. So I don't want to really screw around with something. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So that is my game day ritual. But I will say that like the actual team, there are game day rituals that they follow. And I learned this first and foremost when we were on the road to start the 2019 season. So Sal stays at the team hotel. Back then, Channel 7 also stayed at the team hotel. And we were staying in Jersey City for the first game of the year against the Jets, and then the second game of the year against the Giants. So the first week I showed up, checked into my room. They give me my room number, my key, whatever, go cover the game the next day. The Bills come back with a big fourth quarter, and they win. They beat the Jets by, I think, a point. The next week, they're once again in New York. So they stay at the same hotel. And I go check in, and they said, welcome back, Mr. Beauvais. You're in room, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, wow, what a coincidence. I was in the exact same room <laughs> last week when we were here for the Jets. And they're like, oh, no, it wasn't a coincidence. The Bills requested that everybody has the exact same rooms this week because last week they won. I said, oh, OK, makes sense. The next morning was Sunday. I went out. I wanted to go pick up a coffee and get something for breakfast. And I ran into Brandon Bean and Joe Shane. And it is raining outside. And I go, what are you guys doing? Like walking out in the rain? Like it's kind of crappy outside. You're going to head over to the stadium soon. And they're like, well, we went on a walk at 830 last Sunday. So we're doing it again. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I understand how you feel about this. So yeah, they, they, they buy into that stuff too. I love it. I love it. Um, the only ritual I really have personally is I've been doing this. <clears throat> this will be my ninth year on the Bills sideline. And, and honestly, just like I, I'm so lucky to do what I do. And we're all, I think in this business, very lucky. We're doing what we love. And every single game, right as the national anthem is being played, I stand in my spot a little bit behind the team on the sidelines. And Matt, I, I literally look around the stadium. And I do a 360 and I look around the stadium and I just take it in and I say to myself, I'm in the NFL. Like it's actually something I've done every single game for eight years on the sidelines. It's amazing. That's the only thing. That's like my thing. I have to make sure that I remind myself. It's not a ritual about winning or losing. It's just a reminder to myself of what I'm doing and the, the privilege that I have, I would say, to be on an NFL sideline. Now, the second part of your question, Kevin, who determines dinner on the road? Now, Matt and I, we've met up for dinner. We have different colleagues we've met up for dinner. We don't meet up for dinner, depending on what we all have going on you know, in our different professional or personal lives and where we are and what city can be a little bit different for this answer, of course. When I get with the crew, so to speak, I would say um, it's either probably Greg Harvey, who's our lead engineer, or John Murphy, play-by-play man. Um, sometimes Eric Wood has some sort of event going on. He'll be like, hey, I'm going over there. I, I have to go to some place. You guys want to meet up at this place. Um, I might make a suggestion. I generally am not the guy who decides, but sometimes I will. I kind of go with the flow for that. I'm I'm like, <clears throat> I would say I decide maybe 50% of the time about where we're going to go to eat. And it just kind of all depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. I am a tourist when I'm going to mm -hmm. other places. I don't try and hide that. Some people are like embarrassed to be a tourist. But when I'm in Kansas City for the first time, I'm like, where's the best place to go get barbecue? I'm of here. Course. That's what I want to do. When you're in a place where you've never been before, you're like, okay, what are they known for? What are they famous for? You go to Indianapolis for the first time. You go to St. Elmo Steakhouse and you get the shrimp cocktail. Like, that's what you do. So I like to, if it's the first time that I've ever been to a place, usually I'll just do a quick Google search the week of, and I'll be like, all right, so what is this place known for? If I don't know already, and I'll try and figure out something based off of that. If it's somewhere where we go every single year, I wouldn't, 
they play the Patriots. We stay in Providence and there's some good right. Italian restaurants yes. in Rhode Island. So like I'm just, federal I'm, Hill. That's what I'm, I'm not picking a restaurant. I'm just saying like, okay, we're going to eat Italian there when they play in Miami. I don't, I don't know. I think I ended up at some, I don't even remember. So it couldn't, well, have been you know, in Miami, it's, it's, uh, South Florida is so big, depending on where you stay too, whether you're in South beach or Miami, like kind of proper or, you know, um, where, whatever part of that particular city might make a difference on where you go and, and what you do, because it's such a long ride too to get from place to place sometimes in those cities. So there's always different ways to do it. Um, I agree with you though about you know you, you want to eat the cuisine of the place if you can. Do you have a favorite meal from any Bills road trip that you have made over the years? This is cheating, but honestly, it's Thanksgiving in Dallas. The wow. press box the, they fed us so amazingly in the press box. Um, but if I but as far as going out, yeah, like one favorite meal I don't know. That's hard to say. Oh, you know what? Where were we? Um, oh no, that was Indy. That was the scouting combine. I went to a little Italian place in Indy. It was really good. But Kansas City barbecue is always great. Always yeah. going out. Kansas City barbecue is amazing when you get a chance to go out there and go out for that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I've had some really good seafood at a couple of yeah. stops. You know, going to Baltimore, you get like crab cakes and you do that whole thing. Um, the Kansas City barbecue is probably where I would say. And New Orleans is just an unbelievable food city. So there's a little bit of something for everybody there, too. So when they play the Saints again in New Orleans in seven years, you can remember that we're talking about how great the food is in New Orleans. I, David has a question here, and I, I don't know if this is directed at both of us, but I know for sure he's asking me about, I think, specifically the Kansas City game because he says, is it tough being on the sidelines working in the playoffs and not becoming a fan as the Bills were scoring at will? Oh, maybe even, I guess, the New England game, right? I mean, that would be it too. Um, no, it is not tough because you're always keeping your job in perspective. Like, I have a job to do. Matt has a job to do. When, when they're doing what they're doing, you're thinking about what your next thing to do is for your job. For example... I'll tell you what happened at the end of the Kansas City game, Matt, was, and I don't know if I've shared this story, definitely not on this podcast, but the Bills score with 13 seconds left. And I mean, I go, oh my God, I literally yelled out, oh my God, because it was crazy. I look over and there's two young Chiefs fans, employees, like the guys that maybe carry the flags or something, and they just look devastated. Like they just saw a ghost. And I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at them. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I had to remember, okay. What's next? And I start to think about the kickoff, the kickoff. And we all know what happened on the kickoff, but that was my first thing. What's going to happen on the kickoff? And I ran right up to um, Jay Feely, who was the CBS broadcaster that game, and started asking him about the kickoff. And the other thing I was doing was right then, believe it or not, thinking about my post-game interview, who I'm going to interview after the game on the field because they're about to win. But I wasn't the only one. This isn't a jinx because we have to do this. It was me, it was Feely, and it was Tracy Wilson all doing the exact same thing. We were literally walking down the sidelines asking each other, who you got? Who you got? Who am I getting? Oh, you have Josh. You have Gabe Davis. Who am I getting? Because I got to wait on who CBS is having before I can get somebody for the radio. That That's the part of it. But the emotion of it, to answer David's question, yeah, I mean, I can't be throwing my hands in the air and I can't be yelling at officials and things like that. <laughs> I mean, I have a job to do, but look, I... I'm part of this thing. I want to see a Super Bowl for this city. And I grew up here. I hope the team wins. I want that to happen. I'm not afraid to say that as person in my business, but I have to keep the objectivity as best I can and be do my job as best I can throughout everything that's going on. 
Yeah, my big thing is that I've always rooted for storylines mm-hmm. and not necessarily teams. And the storyline in that game was unbelievable. So to be there and witness it firsthand was the greatest sporting event that I've ever been to. Actually, the morning of the game, I remember I sat down. I was going on a walk in downtown Kansas City. Th- these late games just take everything out of you because it completely screws up kind of the, the setup of your day. And I ran into Elena Getzenberg and Catherine Fitzgerald from ESPN and from the Buffalo News. And they were like, hey, we're going to go get breakfast. Fist, you want to come? And I had already eaten, but I just went and sat down and I had a cup of coffee with them. And I was kind of telling them, I was like, I don't know what the storyline from this game is if they lose. And it's not, unbe- you know, if it's not like an overtime game or this absolute thriller, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about because it's going to be a lot of the same things that we talked about last year, I feel like. So it's weird kind of having that dynamic. And then ultimately we know what happened in that game. So no, it's it, for me, it's not tough to take myself out of it. I just enjoy when crazy good storylines happen. And for the last couple of years, the Bills have, you know, delivered with those storylines more often than not. I'll never forget walking off that field and the raw emotion of it. It will always stick with me the rest of my life. And these guys, Jordan Poyer, how emotional he was on one knee, Josh Allen, and walking off kind of alone, if you will, as Patrick Mahomes has all the cameras around him. And then looking over and seeing Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox, I believe it was, on the bench, exhausted. And just sitting there and I will never, ever forget the haze of smoke and me looking and taking in all of those scenes at the end of that game. It will, it will stick with me forever. And that's in, in a way, a, the great part of our job in my job. It was also a horrible part of my job, if yeah. you will, to see that, you know, it's pretty incredible. I actually, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast. I've said this before. I was walking down to the field from the press box because the game ended and we had to be live for the 11 o'clock news. and they were still doing Zoom calls at that point, and I think the Kansas City interviews were in person, and I was walking down to the field, and I found myself in a tunnel by myself with Patrick Mahomes. It was just the two of us, and we were kind of walking towards each other. He was coming back towards the locker room. I was walking out towards the field, and I was just like, hey, that was the greatest sporting event that I've ever been to, and he was like, yeah, we're not going to forget that one for a long time, and for him, you know, it's the highest of the highs. It's unbelievable. But I know for Bills fans and for the Bills in the locker room, it was just devastation. Um, yeah, sometimes it's tough to take yourself out of the magnitude of everything right. that's happening, but it's also kind of the, to me, one of the coolest parts of the gig. And real quick to put a positive kind of spin on this, we're talking about the Kansas City game. David, in that New England game when they were scoring at will, you know, for me, it was, you know, why, you know what my enjoyment came in? was the fans, man. Matt, looking at the fans, being down there in that cold weather, knowing that that's that. If it was any other team, it wouldn't have mattered as much as it mattered that night for this this city, those people. Like I still get goosebumps thinking about how awesome it was to be down there and watch those people have their night, have their night against that team. Finally, it's done. We kicked your butt. Get out of here. It's our division. It's our team. And we just embarrassed you on national television. Like that part of it, I will say, like, if you want to say that's me being a fan, that's fine. But it wasn't me being a fan of the game on the field. It was me being a fan of the fans in that moment. So we're not. This is our community. We live here. The people we care about, 99% of them want to see the Bills win. So when the Bills win, this is a better place to be. It's a happier place to be. You walk into your local coffee shop on a Monday morning and the Bills lose to the Jags. Everybody's miserable in there. But if they have a big win, everybody's pumped up. Everybody's talking about the team. They want to talk about what's going to happen next. So like that's when it's fun. That's when it's exciting. So yeah, that kind of gives me the energy to honestly to 
want to make sure that I'm doing the best job that I can for the fans who are now listening to this podcast or watching on TV, who are listening to you on the radio, whatever it happens to be like that gives us energy to keep on going. All right, let's take two quick ones here uh, because we don't want to spend too much time, but we got a couple of good ones. I wanted to get to Matthew says out of curiosity, guys, for a new stadium, what is something you'd want to see from a media perspective? I like this because I think the Bills actually have a very good, like for me, a radio broadcast location. It's one of the best in the league. Bills and Patriots, two best radio broadcast locations in the league. Maybe not so much for press box, but Matt can answer that. But I would say the tunnel area, it's narrow. There's one way in, one way out. There's no bowels to the stadium. Every other stadium has this. There's so many more access points to get in and out to where you want to go. Sometimes equipment happens. It's bad weather, things like that. I'd like to be able to have better access to and from the field and inside and the, just the way that's designed and maybe even getting to the field from the actual press box. It's easy to go through the stands, if you will, like quick, but a lot of stadiums just have a much easier, like an elevator gets you down, bam, you're on the field. We don't have that here. There's a lot of different ways you have to go. Yeah, it's very complicated to get from the press box and the radio booth down to the field. Now, it's okay because you don't do it a ton, but it would be nicer for it right. to be a little bit more streamlined. I'm going to have an answer that's going to impact everybody who's at the stadium. I just want good Wi-Fi. You take there it you for go. granted. Like The yeah. Bills have great Wi-Fi in the press box. I know it's spotty out in the bowl, but there's a lot of stadiums that don't have good Wi-Fi in the press box because you're kind of on the same signal as all of the other fans there. And when you're doing what we do, Wi-Fi is important. So I just hope that the new stadium has really good Wi-Fi for me, for you, Sal, and for anybody else who is on their phone. All right, let's get to our final one. Mark, who is at F Reich comeback on Twitter. Matt is a self-proclaimed cookie guy. He says, what is Sal's idea of an elite level cookie? Well, I'm not much of a cookie guy, but I do love my chocolate chip cookies. That is my go-to cookie like chocolate chip. Okay. I'll definitely do it. Almonds. I like chocolate with almonds cookies, but for me, it's got to kind of melt in my mouth. It's got to be the soft chocolate that breaks off. Like that's that's the elite cookie for me. I'm not a big cookie guy, but you can get me with those chocolate chip cookies that melt. I don't want the hard ones that break off, Matt. I want the chocolate chips that are soft and they melt when I eat them. So do you know where the cookie thing comes from? Do you know the backstory here? Mm, I don't think I do. Okay. So last year at the beginning of the season, I told our buddy Joe Biscalia that Josh Allen was an oatmeal raisin cookie oh. at the beginning of the season. I said that he is still fine, but we know he is capable of so much more. Nobody would pick an oatmeal raisin cookie over a chocolate chip, over a whatever, but it's still what, like you'd take it. So Josh Allen at his peak is like a warm out of the oven chocolate chip cookie. And there are a few things better than that dessert wise. So for me, the holy grail of cookies is the chocolate chip cookie, the white macadamia nut cookie, and the M&M cookie. Those are my top three. I'm willing to try others and venture off. Some people, like, you know, it's funny. We were talking about Italy at the beginning of the trip. Not a big fan mm -hmm. of Italian cookies. I know a lot of people love Italian cookies. I don't. I think it's a little too fancy for me. Just give me the good, like, put them in the oven for 12 minutes, come out. That's what I want. I don't want the things with all the you know, cuchitatis or <laughs> biscotti or any of that. Like that's fine every once in a while, but just give me the chocolate chip. That's all I want. Thank you everybody for listening, downloading and subscribing to it's always game day in Buffalo. Be sure you throw us a ni nice review. Um, you know, give us a, a few likes, a few stars, whatever it is on whatever platform you're using Spotify, Apple, iTunes, however you're listening. Um, next time we talk, Matt and I are going to go over the wide receivers and the tight ends. And we have a special guest we're going to bring you as well. Speaking of that, and we'll answer more of your questions. All right, Matt. So uh, 
We're getting back. Matt, this is Max's last week of school, all right, as, as I sign off for you today. Do you remember your last week of school when you are in grade school and how excited you were and the countdown of the days? That's what's going on in the Capaccio household here. Oh, it was the best. We had an <laughs> above-ground pool at my parents' house when I was growing up, and I remember like the tradition would be to get out of school, get home, and just go right into the pool, and it was like summer's officially start. There are a few feelings greater in the world yes. than I think being in elementary school and having the last day of school before the summer. Uh, that's that's going to happen here at the Capaccio household. All right. We thank everybody for listening. We'll be back next time. And it's always game day in Buffalo.